Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Well, today's message, we're going to kind of start into the Christmas story today, sort of but not. And as I was reading through Luke chapter 1 this week, kind of preparing for Christmas season, I felt like God just kind of breathed on two particular verses in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 74 and 75, and that's where I want to share from today. And today's message, it's really uh, revolves around the birth of John the Baptist, and of course he was born uh, a few months before Jesus was. And the title of today's message is called Saved to Serve. But before I get into today's message, I want to invite up Holly Markle. Uh, Let's give Holly a hand. Holly Holly has been one of our former Women's Home directors. She's also a graduate of our uh, Women's Hope Home. And Holly is ready to birth a new ministry, and it's called Staying Connected. She just kind of wants to share a little bit about that just for a few minutes and kind of introduce that and launch it today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So um, I felt like God laid on my heart that I needed to start this group called Staying Connected. Um, When I was the Women Homes Director um, quite a few years ago and I left here and I moved back to Pennsylvania where I'm from, um, I had no connection. Um, so I went there, I didn't get connection at all, um, and then I eventually found myself withered away into the darkness again, um, and then back here to Cumberland, um, actually last year, around this time, actually, so, uh, yeah, so, um, God laid on my heart to start a group, um, called Stayed Connected, um, and what I want to do is have people that feel like you don't have a connection. Um, A lot of times um, people go through the Hope Homes and then they graduate and they feel like there's no connection for them. There's nothing for them. Um, So I felt that this group really was needing to be started um, for for them, but not just for them. Even for people that came into the homes and left the homes or even people that just feel like they need to be connected somewhere. So um, I know it's been beneficial to me in my life to stay connected in a group, and um, I really feel, and it even says in God's word. So the verse I want to use for my, uh, the group is called in John 15, verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So to me, that is we need to stay connected together. Um, Everybody needs to have a connection. We were made to have true fellowship. It's what Jesus did as he gathered amongst the people. Um, So I'm really excited for this. Um, Our first meeting is going to be on Thursday, December the 19th at 7 o'clock. And we're actually going to have a fire out here in the, uh, the courtyard area of the church between the church and the women's home. Um, just to kind of just have a relaxed evening, have a warm fire, make some s'mores, drink some hot chocolate, coffee, um, and we're going to go from there. Um, Especially in these trying times right now with COVID and everything, you know, um, so that's why I figured we need to be outside in this first meeting to get connected based off of everything that's happening um, in in this area right now. So um, if anybody has any questions about this, um, feel free to ask me. Um, but I'm really excited uh, to do this. Um, so 
that's about all I have. Holly, if somebody's, yeah, okay, just one second. Well, we're going to give her a hand here in a minute. If, if, some, if somebody uh, is not here today and wants to reach you, can they connect with you on Facebook, Messenger? What's the best way to, to reach you? Uh, Facebook, Messenger is fine. Um, I can give people my phone number, too. Um, you're more than welcome to call me, 717-676-2466. Oh, so, wow, okay. Right. Putting it out there. <laughs> Se- so, Let's yeah, say that again real I'm slow. I'm all about Se- being connected. 717. Yep. 616-676. You better do it. Yes. 717-676-2466. Okay. Okay. And that fire, do we have to get any kind of permission for that fire, or is that just The uh... permission's already been granted. Oh, wow. Kristen actually gave me permission. (laughs) (laughs) Is that better to ask forgiveness than permission, probably, later? No, I would rather ask. Uh, I, I would know. rather. We'll ask. be good. Either way, we'll we'll make yes. it work. We're yes. gonna have. It's gonna be like big fire. No. No, I like big fires. No. No. Two medium sized fires. All right. So Thursday night, December nineteenth. Yes. Seven p.m. Yes. And kind of going to meet on the side of the church. Yes. Uh, between the women's home and the church. Right? Yes. All Correct. Right. Awesome. Very awesome. good. Thank let's you. give let's give Holly a hand. Thank you, Holly. Okay. Oh, man, look at this. I might need my Bible, and I might need some water. Okay, uh, good. Thank you, babe. Do I have permission? <laughs> Do I need permission to preach now? All right, can, uh, can we go ahead and get our PowerPoint up there? Today's message um, is called Saved to Serve. So I think a lot of times that when we get saved or we lead people to salvation or introduce them to Jesus, we focus a lot of times on what Jesus can do for us or will do for us. And without a doubt, there are benefits to being connected to Jesus. We talked about a few of those benefits a few weeks ago. There's healing, there's deliverance, there's restoration, that he satisfies your mouth with good things. And all those, all those type of things pulls you out of the pit. But a lot of times we take this focus that we get saved so he can serve us. And the, the focus of our salvation is saved to be served instead of saved to serve. And Jesus' intention for you is that he saves you, and does he serve you? Yes. Does he minister to you? Yes. Do you enjoy benefits of being connected to him? Absolutely. But there's an aspect of salvation that we're not just saved to sit. We're saved to serve. And that God has a place of ministry. God has a place of service for each person here today. He's got a place, even for those people that are not saved yet, he's already got a purpose for you. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's already got your life figured out for you. He's got a plan for you, and he has a gifting for you. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And I, want to, I just want to read a passage out of chapter uh, Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 67 through 75. And then I just want to take, uh, take a few points about about save to serve, uh, just three things. I'll go ahead and give them to you now. The first one is called the posture of service, the posture of service. And I don't mean whether we're kind of like hanging out like this or back like this, not that kind of posture, but posture as in attitude or approach, how you approach service, your, your attitude to it. So we're going to talk about the posture of service. We're going to talk about the position of service, and that, that's not actually the job you have, but we're going to get to what that position is. 
and also the period of service. So three P's today, make it easy to remember. The posture of service, the position of service, and the period of service. And those are all going to come out of verses 74 and 75. Let's go ahead and get started. Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles or it's on the overhead, it says, now his father, and this is speaking of John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist was related to Jesus. If you remember, Elizabeth, who was related or the cousin of Mary, got pregnant about six months before Mary got pregnant with the baby Jesus. So that John's about six months older than Jesus. And it says, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. So it's interesting that, that Zacharias here prophesies about the coming Jesus. He prophesies about Jesus and then also about his son, John the Baptist, who it's later in the chapter we won't read. But what's interesting is John or Zacharias has not spoken for nine months and almost eight days. He's been mute. And this is probably the last prophecy regarding Jesus before his birth. This is about six months before Jesus' birth that John, or Zacharias, gives this prophecy. So he says, um, if you remember, you guys remember, you remember the story of Zacharias? Remember how his wife Elizabeth got pregnant? So remember, Zacharias, is, he's a priest, and it says he's after the order or division of Abiah, or Abijah, and he's in the temple. So back then, different priests would have different temple services. So it's his turn and his time to go burn incense in the temple. And he's in the temple burning incense, doing his service. And while he's burning incense, the angel Gabriel appears. And Gabriel says, he says, Zacharias, your prayers are heard. Your wife is going to have a baby. And it goes on to tell us that Zacharias didn't believe the word of the angel. What's, what's interesting is, and it's probably a, a completely different message, but even though he was praying for something, he didn't believe it when it was spoken over him. Something that they had been praying for and praying for and praying for. And the angel says, your prayer was heard, and now it's going to happen. And he says, it says he didn't believe him. And, it, and the angel says, because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute you're not going to be able to talk for the, until, until the time of this happens, so another nine months. And after the baby's born, they, uh, they take it on the eighth day to be circumcised, and they also call the name of the baby. They're going to try to call it Zacharias after his father. And the mother said, no, his name's going to be John. And they said, it can't be because that's not his dad's name. And Zacharias took out a little writing tablet, said, no, his name's John. And all of a sudden, they said, he opened his mouth, and he began to praise and glorify God. Now, I think most of us, if we had been not able to speak for nine months, I don't know that I'd have been praising God right after I got my voice back. I, I might have been angry. I might have been, uh, you know, I don't know what I'd have said. But, but here, this guy had, had realized that, okay, I, I, was, I was wrong. Now I got a chance. God opened my mouth. I'm going to praise the Lord. And as he's praising the Lord, he delivers this prophetic word. And it, we know it's a prophetic word because it's spoken about Jesus, but Jesus has not been born yet. And I just want you to read this. And it's also applicable, it is not also applicable, it is applicable to us because here's a guy who is a priest. And of course, at that time, only certain people could serve the, the office of a priest. Only people could do service in the temple. But today, under the new covenant, we're all priests. We're of a royal priesthood. We all have a ministry. We all have some sort of temple service, if you will. 
So he's really making a declaration for us today. And here's what he says. It says, The father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 70. And he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who ate us. Let me just say right there. The devil is not your friend. He doesn't like you. He doesn't want you to succeed. Matter of fact, he'll do everything he can do to keep you from getting saved. And, and his number one objective in the life of an unbeliever is to keep you from Jesus. And I think if he can't keep you from Jesus, and you eventually receive salvation, you accept Jesus as your Savior, I think his number two objective is to keep you from serving. So if he can't keep you from being saved, the enemy wants to keep you from serving. So God didn't save you just so you could sit around. God saved you with a purpose, and that purpose is to serve him. And it says that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who ate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, <clears throat> the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Now here's verse 74 and 75. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. So a few verses earlier he said that we would be saved from those from our enemies from the hand of those who hate us. So the hand, anytime you read the hand of, that just kind of means under their power, under their authority. Before you accepted Jesus, you were under the authority of the enemy. Once you've been delivered from that, once Jesus saves you, the enemy no longer has any authority in your life. He can't tell you what to do. He can't make you do it. He only has authority in your life to the degree that you give it to him. To the degree that you listen to his lies and to you come into agreement with it's all the at this point. So once Jesus delivers you, that's all out of the picture. And it says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve capital H him. So Jesus saves us, he delivers us for the purpose of service. That's not our only purpose, but it is one purpose. It says that we might serve him, and here's these three areas, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So it says that we might serve him without fear. That's going to be the part that we're going to call posture. In righteousness and holiness before him, that's position, all the days of our life, that's period. Posture of service, position of service, and period of service. Let's talk about that. So if we, let's, let's go to the next slide. I, want to, I just want to show you one quick verse in Colossians 1. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But it says that he has, this same word delivered. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. That word means authority. So the same, the same thing about having the hand of the enemy, the authority of the enemy, the power of the enemy, that Jesus has literally delivered us out of that. He's delivered us from the power of the enemy, from the enemy that hates us, from the enemy that does not want you to know Jesus. And it says he's delivered you out of the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son. This is really important. Of his what? Love. He's transferred us. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his 
love. And, and I want to, that's, that's really the focus of this next point, is that the love of God is what allows us to serve him without fear. See, God's not, God's not angry with you. God's not mad at you. God sent Jesus to the earth. If you think about the Christmas story, it says that there was peace on earth, goodwill, which way? Toward man, right? God's not angry with you anymore. God's not mad at you. Everything that you ever did, everything that you could have ever done, Jesus has already paid for it. Jesus has already taken the penalty of your sin. He, he's taken the beating for it. He's paid for it. It's done. God's not mad. So I don't want you to confuse this, though, because sometimes there, there, this is, um, we read in Scripture. I got thrown off watching Hunter drink out of that milk jug. <laughs> I, I, usually things don't get me sidetracked, but I see a milk jug, and I, I was like, squirrel. It's kind of got me there. <clears throat> How much water do you drink, Hunter? A gallon, a gallon of water. Good. So don't, don't confuse when it says that we serve him without fear because there's, there's clearly many examples in Scripture that we serve that we're to have a reverential fear of God, that we serve him with fear and trembling. Very scriptural. So that there's a, there's a reverential fear, there's an awe that we have for the Father, for God, but we don't serve him out of terror. We don't serve him out of dread. Nor do we have dread or fear about other people or even the enemy. See, there, there's, there's a lot of times that, that what this verse is saying, it's not talking about fear of God, that we're scared of God. It actually means that I'm not fearful. In, in other words, I'm bold. I'm courageous. That when I've got God on my side... Um, in fact, I don't think I put this in there. Let me read this verse to you. Hebrews chapter 13. You guys will all know this. I want you to complete this verse for me. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. What's the next verse say? Anybody know the next verse? Okay, that's the next phrase. What's the next verse? He says, I will never leave you. Okay, listen to this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So a lot of times we quote, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that God's always with me. But what the writer of Hebrews says, he says that the God will never leave you or forsake you so that you can say, I will not fear. What, what can man do to me? Because God is with me, I can say, I can boldly say, I'm not going to fear. So there's this aspect that once I'm on God's team, once that he is now my savior, I can serve with some boldness. I've got some backing, right? I've got somebody behind me that's got my back that will never leave me and never forsake me. I don't, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people do. I'm not going to let those things terrorize me. Well, a lot of times we get terrorized by the enemy. And I kind of want to look at 1 John chapter 4 because uh, another verse we cut a lot of times is perfect love casts out what? Right, perfect love casts out fear. So I want to look at that verse 
And, but I want to read it kind of a little bit and backwards. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, but then I want to go back to verse 17. I kind of want to read it in reverse. So verse 17, 18 says this, and we're very, very familiar with this verse. If I'm going to serve God without fear, then I've got to have a revelation of his love for me. Because when I realize that God loves me, that God wants what's best for me, then I don't have to worry about all those other things. It says there's no fear. Everybody say that, no fear. No fear in love. There is no fear in love. So if I'm going to serve God without fear, I've got to have some sort of revelation of love. Because if I don't have that revelation of God's love for me, the enemy's got all kinds of tactics he can use against me. Perfect love casts out fear. So it's not, let me tell you this, your love is not perfect. You know, my wife comes really close. Like her love is like close to perfect, but I could always find something wrong with it. My love is like way less than perfect. So it's never about my love for you. It's never about my love even for God. Because the love that I have doesn't cut it. My love, your love, is broken. It's only the love of God. It's only God's love for you that's perfect. It's only God's love in you that's perfect. It's never your love or your spouse's love or the love you have for your kids. That never measures up. It says perfect love. Perfect love only comes from a perfect God. He says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We loved him. Why? Because he first loved us. See, I think a lot of times, even when we read the Revelation and it talks out to the one church that they had left their first love, who loved first? God did. See, a lot of times we forget that it's about his love for us. It's, not, it's never about what I have to do to earn his love. It's always about that he loved me first. He loved me first. God sent his son into the world. It says, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, that God demonstrated his love, that while you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. So that Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago. Anybody love Jesus 2,000 years ago? Anybody alive? Anybody alive right now? Okay, somebody's alive. Right, so God loved eternity past. You'll never be able to match his love. And when you realize that God loves you, that God has always loved you, that God loved you when you were broken, God loved you when you were stuck in your mess, God loved you when you were in the act of doing the most despicable things, nothing can change that. His love is perfect. And when you realize that He loved you then, and He loves you now, that He always has what's best for you at heart, He's not going to be able to come talk you out of it. Now, I'll only tell you that to go back to verse 17. So let's go to, let's look at the previous verse. It says, let's go to the next slide. Nope. There we go. It says, love has been perfected among us. Who has perfect love? 
God's love. Love has been perfected among us that we may have what? <clears throat> Boldness. What's the opposite of being fearful? Bold. So that perfect love casts out what? Fear. And so that it says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in what? The day of judgment. A lot of times we read this and think, okay, because God loves me, in eternity future, when the judgment comes, I'm going to be able to be bold because God loves me. Now, maybe you could make a point to that. But I think the day of judgment has more to do with every day that the enemy brings judgment into your life. Because in the last, the, the remainder of the verse says, because as he is, so are we in eternity future in this world. It says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. And the point is, is just like Jesus is, so are you. So it's not about, it's not really about how much does God love me. It's really about how much does God love Jesus. Because I'm in Jesus. And it's not really about how much does God accept me. It's how much does God accept Jesus. Because I'm in Jesus. And how much does God favor Jesus. Because I'm in Jesus. And how perfect is Jesus? And how righteous is Jesus? And how holy is Jesus? And how accepted is Jesus? Because as loved and accepted and favored as Jesus is right this minute, guess who else is just like that? You. As he is, so are you now or later. Right now in this world. So I really believe that day of judgment, judgment really means condemnation or accusation. Am I the only one or do you guys ever have the enemy come put condemnation and, and, and judgment in your head? Every day, right? Every day. God can't love you. There's no way a holy God could love somebody as dirty as you. You really think God's works, God work, God's word will work for you? You're filthy. You deserve the mess you're in. That's every day. That's every day because the enemy, if he can't keep you from being saved, he wants to keep you from what? Serving. And if he can get you into fear and condemnation, well, I guess that's, I guess I'm not worthy. I guess I'm not acceptable to God. I don't know if God really loves me. Guess what? You take a seat on the bench. God wants you in the game. He wants you in the game because he loves you, because he's got your back, because he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. See, we've got to be so confident in the love of God. If you don't know these verses, you should memorize them. Romans 8, 38, 39. Paul says, I am persuaded. What is persuaded? Pretty confident. I'm persuaded that neither life nor death 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, when you're in Jesus, when you accept Him, you're in Him. And then to the degree that the Father will never be separated from the Son, to the degree that the Father loves the Son, is it's the degree to which He loves you. You got to know that. You got to know that God loves you. And when God loves you, fear goes away. See, if, if I'm living in fear, although I've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, I'm operating in the kingdom of darkness. See, I've been out of it spiritually, but we choose when we live in fear to go back in it mentally, physically. We allow the devil to control us right here with fear. Here's the verse, Romans 8.1. I want to read this to you from the Passion Translation. Next slide. It says, so now the case is closed. Everybody say this, case closed. Anybody ever been in court? When that judge slams the gavel, is that good or bad? It depends, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's right. It depends. If that case is in your favor, you can't wait for that gavel to hit. Well, here's the good news. It's in your favor. It says, case is closed. There is no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. Case closed. Other translations say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In Christ. When you receive Him, you're in Him. Everything the Father thinks is true of Jesus is true of you. Can anybody hold an accusing voice against Jesus? No. He settled every debt. He fulfilled the law. He kept it perfectly. No condemnation. And when you're in Him, none for you either. Case closed. All right, so God says, I want you to serve me without fear. We're not going to fear people. We don't need to fear the enemy. We don't need to let Him talk us out of God's love for us. But the next thing He says, I want you to serve me without fear, but I also want you to serve me in holiness, next slide, and in righteousness before me. ask you a question. How many people want to please God? Put up your hand. If you want to please God. How many people, if you be honest right now, think that God is pleased with you? You put your hand up. I see one hand. Might see two hands. What did I just tell you? If you're in Christ, how does God look at you? He looks at you based on what Jesus did. See, if you ever question, am I pleasing to God? Then you're going to question your position in God. See, position of service has nothing to do with the job or the ministry you do. Position means that you're, you're standing. 
it says that we serve him in holiness and righteousness before him. So that when I stand before God, what does he see? What does he see? If you're in Jesus, what does he see? Is he pleased with Jesus? Is he pleased with you? Yes. See, you got to know that God loves you, but you also got to know that you're not the person you used to be. That you're right standing, and this is all righteousness means. Righteousness means right standing. It also means right doing. But when it talks about when you're talking about being in Christ and being in righteousness and in holiness, that's how he created you to be. That's your new nature. Do you remember this verse, Ephesians 4.24? Remember when we had that, we talked a couple weeks ago about putting off the old and putting on the new? Do you remember that? Ephesians 4.24. It's the only other verse in the New Testament that has these exact same two words in it. Holiness and righteousness. Same Greek words, same words. It says that you put on the new man which was created after who? God. So that my the new you, when you get saved, you get a brand new spirit. That new spirit, the new you, is created after who? It means you're created after God. It's created in God's likeness. It looks like God. It sounds like God. It thinks like God. It's just like God. It's the God part of you. And it says that that new man was created in what? Holiness. And righteousness. That you got to believe. Now this verse is telling us that you need to put on the outside what's already on the inside. Right? That inside of you, you're completely holy. You're completely righteous. That you could stand before God right now. And that when God looks at you, He sees you innocent, faultless, and guiltless. See, it's never about you doing good works to be righteous. Your good works are awful. They're terrible. You will never work your way to heaven. Matter of fact, Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags. All the good that you think you've done, worthless. See, the only righteousness that's any good is the righteousness that Jesus gives us. And you can't earn that. See, it's never about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. He's already done it for you. See, the only righteousness that matters is the righteousness we receive by faith. So that if I don't do any good to get righteous, I can't do bad to lose my righteousness. Because I didn't earn it. It's given to me. And when God looks at me, He sees me innocent, guiltless, and faultless. He sees me holy. He sees me righteous. Don't ask again, how many think when God looks at you, He's pleased with what He sees? You need to start taking a position that God has made me this way. I don't care what it might look like on the outside. Does that mean we don't have flaws? Not at all. But it means you've got to start from a position of understanding what God has done. And I'm not the same as God. 
See, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, he, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That Jesus on that cross took all of your sin, all your bad, and he became that. So that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that when I'm in Christ, what do, whose righteousness do I have? Mine or his? I've got his. And if I got his, I definitely don't want mine. Mine isn't that good. But when you got his, it's perfect. It's perfect. So there's a verse in Hebrews that says that he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So two aspects here. In one aspect, he's made you, how long's forever? Forever, right? He has made you perfect forever. You've been perfected forever. But it says he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified, which is in the present tense, which means you've been made perfect, but at the same time, there's still parts of you that are becoming more like Jesus. And there's still parts of us that, that we need to lay down. There's still parts of us that, that need broken off. But in the spirit realm, you're perfect before God. And you got to know that. Otherwise, when you go to serve, you're going to wonder, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I'm not righteous enough. Maybe I'm not holy enough. Well, there's one thing to knowing you're righteous and holy, but there's another part that, that you know, a lot of people are like, well, well, if I'm righteous, I'm all good. I'm good, right? I'm going to go live a certain way. I'm holy inside. It not really matter what's on the outside, right? Or does it? It doesn't matter as far as eternity goes, but it does matter as far as the life we're living right now. See, there's still consequences to your actions. Not just to you, but to other people. There's, a, there's another verse in Hebrews, and a lot of times we apply this to our own life. It says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, it's not saying that you won't see the Lord if you yourself aren't holy, but the verses preceding that are talking about strengthening weak hands. It's talking about helping the lame person. So a lot of times that your ministry can be hindered to other people when you're not living a holy life. And so that God has made you holy and God's made you righteous, but there's still a call to live a holy life. That there's still a call that you need to live a life that's outwardly pleasing to God. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, to do what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice? Holy. Right? So there's you're holy on the inside, but there's still a part that God says, I want you to bring your body to me, which is my temple, and I want you to give it to me as a sacrifice. And I want you to live a holy life. See, my holiness outside doesn't make me holy on the inside. And my right stuff on the outside doesn't make me right on the inside. It's the other way around. When I've been made righteous, now I want to do righteous things. And when I've been made holy, I want to start living holy. And after a period of time, if you're not starting to live holy i got to wonder if you were made holy. And if you're not starting to live righteous and start, starting to make some changes, i got to wonder if there was ever a change in here. Because it all starts in here. 
Next slide. All right, last thing. I'm going to wrap up. We're going to pray. So that God saved us so that we could serve with boldness. That we're going to be able to, when the enemy brings those thoughts into our head, those condemnations, those accusations, we're going to be solid in the love of God. That I'm going to be solid in the fact that Jesus has made me righteous and holy. I'm not going to let him talk me out of what God has called me to do. And I think this last one, a lot of times, you know, it says that we may serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness before him. And here's the last part a lot of people don't like. For about a week, a year, how long? All the days of your life. I see a lot of people crap out in ministry. It's like they're playing, they throw a seven, craps table. Like, eh, I'm done. They get on fire for a while for the Lord. They do some good things. And something happens in their life and say, I'm done. I'm done with this. Or sometimes other believers put you in a penalty box. Maybe you messed up. Maybe you had a great ministry at one time. See, there, there's no there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. That when God calls you to a ministry, when God gifts you. When God gives you certain ministry callings and gifts, He doesn't take those back. Romans 11 says, He says, the gift and callings, gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Or another translation says that they're irrevocable. That just means that God doesn't take them back. See, you might take them back. You might put yourself on the shelf. Other people might put you on the shelf. But when God called you and gifted you, it's for life. So we have such a short-term mentality because if you think about even in the work, work field, the average person working today barely stays in a job for just a little over four years. And if you're a millennial, it's less than that. It's right around three years. And so we have this short-term view of service in the work world. And, and, and a lot of times we apply that to, to our, our life with the Lord too. See, God's not calling you to this quick burst of, of ministry and then you sit on the sidelines the rest of your life. Maybe you did screw up. Maybe you have made some mistakes. Maybe there needs to be a season of restoration. Maybe there needs to be a period where you get your life back in order. But that doesn't negate the fact that God has put a ministry calling on your life. See, when God puts together the body, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that each one of us, we're all members of one body. That we all have a part. And if I'm the nose and Jay's the ear, I can't say, well, <laughs> I don't need the ear. He's not important. 
And if Jen's the foot, I can't say, eh, I can get by like this. I'm good. I don't need Jen. I'll just go around like a stork the rest of my life. Or a one-armed, one-armed wallpaper hanger, you know? See, your ministry is important to me, and your ministry is important to the rest of the body. Because when you're serving the body, you're serving Jesus. I need you. You need me. It says, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. But I want to encourage you today that you got to know that God loves you. you got to know that He's on your side. That He's always got your best interest at heart. You got to know that he's made you righteous, that he's made you holy, that he sees you just like he sees Jesus. And he's called you into what he's called you to serve him all the days of your life. Don't quit early. Don't give up. Don't give in. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants you to throw in the towel. He wants you to sulk and and cry and sit in a corner and suck your thumb. But that's not what God wants. I want everybody to get to the end of their life and be able to say what the Apostle Paul said. Here's what he said to Timothy, this last slide. Go two slides ahead. So I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. God wants you to finish well. He wants you to finish strong. I want you to finish. If you've messed up, repent. It's okay. We all mess up. If you got off track, get back on track. If you slipped away, slip back in. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. We're not going to make you feel bad about yourself. We're going to help you. We're going to help restore you. Some things you get stuck in might take longer to get restored than others. I mean, if you tell a fib versus messing around on your spouse, little difference of restoration. But there's restoration just the same. God wants you back in the game. So I just want to pray for you today. If you're here and don't know Jesus, I invite you to come up and see me after service. If you're online, you don't know the Lord is your Savior, you say, I don't know that God loves me. I didn't realize God died for my sin. Jesus wants nothing more than to relate to you today, have a relationship with you today. Just Just a matter of saying, Jesus, I receive what you did for me. I accept you as my Savior. I invite you to do that today. I know most of you here today are saved. And I just want you just to, just to think for a minute. Have I abandoned God's call in my life? Have I messed up? If I've messed up, what do I need to do to get right, get back on track? If that's you, I'd love to pray for you today. Just let's stand up. I'm just going to pray corporately. If you need individual prayer, I'll invite you up. But you can come up after service. Jay and I, Pastor Jay and I, would be happy to pray with you.
Lord God, we love you, but Father, we know our love for you could never, never even scratch the surface of your love for us. I thank you that your love is perfect. Thank you that your love is pure. I thank you that you love us as much as you love your son, Jesus. Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could be with you, so that we could be like you. Father God, I just pray that for anybody today dealing with condemnation from the enemy, that the enemy has told them lies, that they've messed up one too many times, that they've got off course for the last time, that God can't use them. We reject that lie in the name of Jesus. Father, that you can restore any situation. Lord, you can not only restore us, but you can put us back on the path of serving you. Lord, I just pray that over each person here today. Father, I pray for ministries, just like we heard, ministries to be out of this church. Lord, creative ideas. Lord, it's been burning and give them the courage to serve without fear, to, to not care what, say, hey, I've got something that God wants me to do, and I'm willing to do it. We're just believing you for great things. Lord, let your blessing rest on each person today. Protect them and keep them. And Lord, we ask for those that couldn't join us today because of either being quarantined or being sick. Lord, we pray your divine protection. We pray your health your grace overtop their families, their households. Lord, provide for them financially through these times. God, we just believe that you will meet every need. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, have a great day. If you need individual prayer, I invite you to come up. We'd be happy to pray with you.